welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying themes at the pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Spooky Lauren. And I'm Spooky Julia. <laughs> I really wish uh, that we could do that every week this month. <laughs> But now it's halfway through the we month. We need a break for theme, from theme weeks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, get ready for December, everybody. That's a that's a that's a, a little teaser. That's a little taste for does you. Does it have anything to do with vampires? No. Or does it? <gasps> I don't know. Unlo- well, maybe, maybe. Probably one of them. I don't know. I mean, they're pretty bad people. Anyway, ooh, another taste, <laughs> another delicious taste of December. Um, so, uh, first off, at the top of the show. I got to give a mea culpa. Mea Mea culpa. culpa. Not my best. Sorry. Um, So in this was uh, two weeks ago uh, in my Alice Cooper episode, I made the mistake of saying that Bentonville, Arkansas was an economically depressed area. Mm. And our listener, Wesley W., was kind enough to send me a message and said, actually... (laughs) Bentonville is a very wealthy area. It is not economically depressed. Um, and I apologize to Wesley and all Bentonville. And everyone Williams. in Arkansas. Yes, to everyone in Arkansas. To I the Clintons. Made. Yeah. To the Walt family. Yeah, the Walton family, because that was the question. <laughs> it was about Alice Walton. So, uh, yes. So I apologize. I made the classic Yankee assumption that everything south of the Mason-Dixon is economically depressed. So I apologize uh, to Wesley and all Arkansans. Lauren, do you know where the Mason-Dixon line is? Yes, it's between Maryland and uh, Pennsylvania. That's very close to where we live here. I know. <laughs> Julia, for me, a native New Yorker, the Mason-Dixon That's line, true. and I think historically divides the north from the south. Yeah, so I stick with that. So I apologize, um, Wesley, and all Arkansans. Is that how they say? Is it Arkansans? I think so. Okay. Unless you're my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's the Ar- Arkansas River. Arkansas. Or just Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. He's- <laughs> oh, poor Billy. <laughs> He's like, Joel, you don't say Kansas. <laughs> and you know what? I couldn't argue with that. He wasn't that. Yeah, he no, wasn't he's wrong. Not wrong. He's a genius. Uh, the other thing that I realized I misspoke because I was listening to the Alice Cooper episode today is that the um, the movie that he was in with Mae West, that Alice Cooper uh-huh. was in with Mae West, was not called Sextet. It was called Sexet, like oh. the diminutive of... Like a little sex. <laughs> yes. Sexet, like you are a female who is sexy or something along those lines. So the movie is called Sexet. Um, it didn't do well. But going back to our spooky month, uh, I figured, you know what? I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to go back to my roots of the thing that I love and also fear the most, space. Mm -hmm. And today I'm going to talk about probably my favorite of all of our satellites, the moon. When boy meets girl, here's what they say. Probably your favorite? Probably my favorite satellite. Okay. Also the ISS, you know, the International Space True. Station. Yeah. Um, but the moon is Earth's only permanent natural satellite. 
as you may true. assume. Yes. <laughs> so that's your first little bit of info right there. And here it comes. It's going to come like a tidal wave. So it's... <laughs> which is caused by, by the, the moon. moon. Yes. Tides. Uh, so it is the fifth largest satellite in the solar system. So it's the fifth largest, I guess, moon or satellite in general. Oh, okay. And it is the largest among planetary satellites relative to the side of the, of the planet that it orbits. So, so it's the largest satellite relative to the planet that exactly. it's around. So even though like Jupiter and Saturn have a ton of moons, they're not that big compared no. to the planet. Exactly. Okay. Um, so the surface area of the moon is slightly less than the areas of North and South America combined. So that's okay. It's pretty big. I've never once thought about that. Neither have I. And I tried to not. <laughs> like I'm the kind of person that if I zoom out too far on Google Maps... I get like my stomach Nauseous? flops. Yeah. I get <laughs> very anxious. So um, needless to say, I would not have survived in an earlier time, <laughs> just in general, because of just latent anxiety. So um, the moon is, after Jupiter's satellite Io, the second densest satellite in the solar system among those whose densities are known, because we don't know all the densities of all the satellites, all the moons. How can we? Exactly. They're so far away. So... Um, also just as an FYI, the usual English proper name for Earth's natural satellite is the moon, which in non-scientific texts is usually not capitalized. Okay. So when we refer to the moon, it's just little m. Little. Which. Yes. Which is, I think, disrespectful. Lowercase. Yeah. Disrespectful, but whatever. Uh, the noun moon is derived from the old English mona, meaning month, which comes from the proto-Indo-European root meh which is to measure. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. Meh. I mean, it's proto-Indo-European language. Yeah. We don't know a lot about it, but right. meh to measure. Um, the month being the ancient unit of time measured by the moon, obviously, which we still, that's how yes. we get months. Um, occasionally, the name Luna is used, as I mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, in literature, especially in science fiction, Luna is used to distinguish it from other moons. Okay. Um, the adjective selenic, usually only used to refer to the chemical element selenium, is so rarely used to refer to the moon that its meaning is not recorded in most major dictionaries. But selenium has to do with the moon. Yes. Um, it is derived from the ancient Greek word for the moon, selene, from which it is, however, also derived the prefix seleno, as in selenography, the study of physical features of the moon, as well as the element name selenium. Uh, both the Greek goddess Selene and the Roman goddess Diana were alternatively called Cynthia, which is also a derivative of Selene. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Right? I didn't know that either. Uh, the names Luna, Cynthia, and Selene are reflected in terminology for lunar orbits in words such as apolline, Parasynthion and selenocentric. Wow. Yeah. So all of these all of these root words have to do with the moon, obviously. So the moon. How did we get the moon? Where did the moon? The moon. What is it? Where did it come from? <gasps> I will tell you. Steve and I have been doing like Hulk language to each other. Again, Why? everyone, all you singles out there, be jealous. Uh, <laughs> joking. I'm joking. Um, but I told him, you know, uh, Steve, I'm doing the moon next for my topic, and he said. <gasps> Steve love moon. And I said, moon loves Steve. Oh boy. Yeah. That's once you get into that. I know it's, it's all over. It's really hard to come back from the I know, third person. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a respectable person in any way, but the moon, how did we get it? Where did moon come from? 
How is it made of cheese, Lauren? Did, how did we get moon? <laughs> um, the moon formed actually 4.51 billion years ago. And how do we know this, Julia? How do we know this? Carbon dating on moon diamonds. So they... Is this because we brought some of it back? Yes. Or because they just knew? Uh, n- no, the moon diamonds didn't tell anybody. We brought the moon diamonds back. <laughs> And we tested no, them. That like something fell to Earth, and they were like, "Oh, and they're like is from the moon." <laughs> no, I think we brought them back. Okay. Um, actually, I moon diamonds are actually zircons. Okay, but they're still. I think they're moon diamonds. Um, so, some sixty million years after the origin of the solar system. So several forming mechanisms have been proposed, including the fission of the moon from the Earth's crust through centrifugal force. Okay. So it just like spun off the Earth, and like joined the orbit um but which would require too great an initial spin of earth we, the earth would have to like be really flying really to get that rock off it. of it yeah really just <laughs> yeah um like you have a sock and you have a bunch of nickels in it yeah and, you and you're just around. swing swing yeah. swing and, and those nickels go through a hole in the sock and then you have a moon i think you that's heard science. it here everyone yeah, you heard it here uh another possibility is the gravitational capture of a preformed moon so the idea that something large it was just like floating, floating by, and then it just kind of got like a <gasps> yeah, got caught, caught exactly. But that would also mean that the Earth uh, would have to have like a strength contest against the passing Moon's trajectory, which Whoa. wouldn't have happened. Um, the other thing is uh, the co-formation of Earth and the Moon together in the primordial accretion disk. So, the primordial accretion <laughs> disk. <laughs> So the primordial I've never, I've never well, seen those three words together. The primordial before. accretion disc. It's basically like the like sort of like a mini big bang where it's like kaboom and like this matter forms and then two rocks just kind of like boop, here they are, and then you got a moon and then you got the earth. I'm oversimplifying it, but this is like this is a comedy podcast after all. Uh, which is uh, so far hilarious. Um, but this does not this idea does not explain how the there's different compositions of metals in both the earth and the moon okay. like they're two different in terms of composition where this would be the answer okay so the prevailing hypothesis right now of how the moon came to be is that the earth moon system formed after an impact of a mars-sized body named theia with the proto-earth so some giant planet hauled itself into the earth kaboom and then spun off a bunch a huge chunk of earth and that became the moon okay so i know it's a lot i know it really it's a lot so the impact blasted material from both the earth and from theia into earth's orbit and then the material like like mooshed together and it formed the moon okay okay so the moon's far side has a crust that is 50 kilometers or 31 miles thicker than the of the near side and this is thought to be because the moon fused from two different bodies interesting isn't that cool how do so, we know have we been there to the moon <laughs> <laughs> no yes, to the Julia? dark side of the moon uh we have not been to the dark side of the moon but i can tell you um we have done studies about the dark side of the moon <laughs> like we've well, orbited it have we been to the moon <laughs> uh, just wait julia this is gonna be a real a real this treat is, this is a roller coaster that we are on right now so <laughs> yes, we've studied it and we've done like, I don't know, lasers. Woof. I am out of my depth here. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, I'm 
Mm, I'm going to get a lot of emails. Okay. So this hypothesis of the Mars guy blasting into the earth, causing like a, a Plato, like a, like accretion of the moon. So this hypothesis, although not perfect, perhaps best explains the evidence. So 18 months prior to an October 1984 conference on lunar origins, moon scientists Bill Hartman, Roger Phillips, and Jeff Taylor challenged fellow lunar scientists, quote, you have 18 months. Go back to your Apollo data. Go back to your computer. Do whatever you have to do, but make up your mind. Don't come to our conference unless you have something to say about the moon's birth. Yeah. Yep. So at the 1984 conference at Kona, Hawaii, the giant impact hypothesis emerged as the most consensual theory. So that's in 1984, a bunch of moon scientists bullied each other into, you got to answer for this. What's the, how did the moon, how was the moon Don't born? Don't you dare come to this conference I'll, unless you have an answer you for show us. show your face <gasps> at our luau unless you know for sure what happened with the moon. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine like another discipline doing that? <laughs> I know, right? In our history, that has never happened. Don't you dare come to this conference Don't and you till you can tell me why why Degas used that shade of mob. You son right of a bitch. <laughs> exactly. So we have them to thank for this hypothesis of how the moon Is was. Is this formed. why we haven't been to Time Con yet? <laughs> Oh, because we're going to get Because left. we haven't been dared to Oh, because we haven't been like, anything threatened? Yet? No. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why. So we just have to start our own, like, alternative time con. Yeah. Alternative time con. What if it's, like, um, like the Fringe Fest? Maybe it's, like, a Fringe Time Con, you know, where there's, like, I don't know, contortionists and, like, balloons and stuff. There's a Fringe Festival in Rochester. It's great. Uh, okay, so... Giant impacts are thought to have been common in the early solar system because the planets were closer together, I think. A bunch of marbles. Yeah, just knocking into each other. Exactly. Computer simulations of giant impacts have produced results that are consistent with the mass of the lunar core and the angular momentum of the Earth-Moon system. So what that means is they've they've run a bunch of computer simulations and they're like, yeah, this seems right. So these simulations also show that most of the moon derived from the impactor rather than proto-Earth. So they, a lot of the material of the moon has more to do with Theia, they think, than early Earth. Okay. So it's like the moon isn't just like necessarily just a chunk of Earth. No. It's, it's parts of Earth from like way, way, way back, but they think it's mostly Theia. I um, what's inside the moon. Well, I'm going to tell you what's inside the moon. Um, it's all cheese. No. Uh, however, more recent simulations suggest a larger fraction of the moon derived from proto-Earth. So more recent simulations are like, ooh, actually, maybe it's more Earth than we thought. So while the giant impact hypothesis might explain many lines of evidence, some questions are still unresolved, most of which involve the moon's composition. So we're getting okay. into like what it's made of. So in 2001, a team at the Carnegie Institute of Washington reported the most precise measurement of the isotopic signatures of lunar rocks. So like all of the composition, like Mm -hmm. what's in it. To their surprise, the rocks from the Apollo program had the same isotopic signatures as rocks from Earth. However, they differed from almost all other bodies in the solar system. Oh. Indeed, this observation was unexpected because most of the material that formed the moon was thought to have come from Theia, and it was announced in 2007 that there was less than a 1% chance that Theia and Earth had identical isotopic signatures. So the idea is, the odds are, it's not that Theia and Earth were very similar, it's that 
moon is more like earth and Thea only contributed like a little bit of it. Wow. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the thicker part. Maybe the thicker part. That we haven't been to yet. Yeah. That thick booty of the earth. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she made a face at me and I immediately regretted that it. That moon booty. That moon <laughs> Thick with two C's. No K. Uh, so this is what's inside the moon. Much like earth, it has a distinct crust, mantle, and core. Okay. Right? The moon has a solid, iron-rich inner core and a fluid outer core primarily made of liquid iron. So around the core is a partially molten boundary layer. Okay. So you've got almost identical to what we've got. So we've it got, is like hot inside. Oh, yeah. It's super hot inside. In fact, early on, and this is, we're going to be talking about this in, a, in like the next paragraph, but there were um, volcanoes on the moon. Big volcanoes like we had on Proto-Earth. I guess I can like envision a long, long time ago there were volcanoes on the yeah. moon or like on Mars or something sure. like that. But I don't think of it like today as it's having... Like being in, yeah. As being hot in the middle. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all hot in the middle, you know? Like the Earth is hot in the middle. Well, that makes sense. Well, yeah, but, but why not? the moon is just, just out there. I know, but why all not by moon? itself. I know. I mean, moon is, moon is hot on the inside. So its most visible topographic feature is the giant far side South Pole Atkin Basin, which is some 2,240 kilometers or 1,390 miles in diameter, which is the largest crater on the moon and the second largest confirmed impact crater in the solar system. It's pretty big. Yeah, it's huge. So that was when, so the moon has a lot of like fun nooks and crannies. And um, like your English muffin, like like one like a Thomas's English muffin. Exactly. Thomas's English muffins. Enjoy them today. They're with your Jimmy Dean sausage bangers. <laughs> They're delicious with a little bit of butter or marmalade. Uh, I'm not a fan of marmalade. Um, so this crater, it's 13 kilometers or 8.1 miles deep. Uh, its floor is the lowest point on the surface of the moon. So that crater on the south pole of okay. the moon is the deepest. So the dark and relatively featureless lunar planes clearly seen with the naked eye. So those are like the dark shadows that you see on a Mm -hmm. full moon. They're called Maria. Maria. No, they're called Maria, which is Latin for seas. Uh, The singular is called Mara. Okay. Okay. So um, they were once believed to be filled with water and they are now known to be vast solidified pools of ancient basaltic lava from the all of like the volcanic activity. Yeah. So almost all Maria are on the near side of the moon. So that's why we can see them and cover 31% of the surface of the near side compared with 2% of the far side. So the far side of the moon is a lot smoother. Really? Yes. Or no, it's not smoother. It's, it doesn't have as many like dark planes. There aren't as many like, um, volcanic, uh, evidence. I'm kind of envisioning and you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Okay. Like when you're making a ball of pizza dough. Sure. And you're pulling it into the ball. Yes. And you're stretching it out. You're stretching out the outer layer. Uh-huh. And then you're making it like smooth, but still on the, on like the back one end. part of it, there's still going to be like a little bit of pox, pock marks. And then in some of the places that you stretch over, it's going to have a little pock mark. So it's yeah. not completely smooth. No. But, um, yeah, I mean, we could use that. We could use that analogy, but that's. I mean, I literally just said how the moon was formed, so it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't giant ball of dough, Julia. I don't know if you're listening to me, but I'm hungry. Keep going. <laughs> it's okay. Um, 
Yes. No, you're you're right. It's not, and it's also not completely spherical, obviously. I mean, the, the earth is not completely spherical either. But yeah, like one part is a lot more, um, has a lot more personality than the other side. Um, so the lighter colored regions of the moon are called terrae, or more commonly highlands, because they are higher than most Maria. Um, and the other major geologic process that has affected the moon's surface is impact cratering, as I mentioned before, with craters formed when asteroids and comets collide with the lunar, lunar surface. So there are estimated to be roughly 300,000 craters wider than one kilometer or 0.6 miles on the moon's near side alone. Um, the lack of an atmosphere, weather, and recent geological processes mean that many of these craters are well-preserved. Do you know if like stuff still hits the moon now? I'm sure it does. Wouldn't that be cool to see? I mean, stuff hits us all the time, right? Yeah, I guess. But like, I bet stuff hits the moon, especially the far side. Oh, but we can't see that no, one. No, we can't see that side. Well, um, I think that it's, was it China or India? They just um, took pictures of the dark side of the moon, of the far side of the moon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now we have like images, images of the far side of the moon. It's cool. Um, so what's on the surface of the moon? I don't know. So blanketed on top of the moon's crust is a surface layer called regolith, which was formed by impacts. So uh, the finer regolith, which is the lunar soil of silicon dioxide glass, has a texture resembling snow and a scent resembling spent gunpowder. So when you when someone asks you, does the moon have a smell? It does. It smells like spent gunpowder, or actually the Apollo guys said that it smelled like... Um, like an overcooked steak, like the, the carbony burntness of overcooked steak. Wow. And they didn't love it. They were like, oh, the moon? Stinky. Yeah. So the regolith of older surfaces is generally thicker than for younger surfaces, obviously. So it varies in thickness from 10 to 20 kilometers or 6.2 to 12.4 miles deep in the highlands and 3 to 5 kilometers or 1.9 to 3.1 miles deep in the Maria. So beneath the finely... Um, fine, you know, like dust of regolith is called the mega regolith. The mega regolith? The mega regolith, which is a layer of highly fractured bedrock many kilometers thick. So basically, if you imagine, it's like fine dust, like snow at the mm -hmm. top, and then, which is the regolith. And then under that is more of like a big, bigger pieces like boulders and rocks. And that's the mega regolith. It's <laughs> a great name. Yeah, it's a great name. Scientists are great. Um, so the moon, it's in synchronous rotation as it orbits earth. It rotates about its axis and about the same time it takes to orbit earth. So as it turns, it's, it's like, it always has its face toward us. So it always keeps nearly the same face turned toward earth as it's rotating around, which is why we always, always see watching. it's always watching us with its two freak eyes. Um, so because of the effect of what's known as liberation, uh, about 59% of the moon's surface can actually be seen from Earth. So like most of the, the moon's surface. And what is libration? It's called, it's waggling, basically. So when the moon <laughs> is orbiting and like has its face toward us, it does this, which is like, like the you movement. You can't see her. She looks like she's doing a hula hoop. Yes, it's the hula hoop action. So the moon is, is like moving as it's, as it's orbiting. It's like moving it's in and out of the light. Of the sun. Like if you spin a top. Yes. And and it's still like spinning, but it goes yeah, in but a it circle like, and it's doing that little waggles. Like. Yeah. So that's <coughs> called libration. 
Um, the side of the moon that faces Earth is called the near side, and the opposite is the far side, obviously. Um, the far side is inaccurately called the dark side, um, but it is, in fact, illuminated as often as the near side, which is once every 29.5 Earth days. So during new moon, the near side is dark. Oh. Yeah, that's crazy. So the moon has a slightly greater attraction for the side of Earth closest to the moon as compared to the part of the Earth opposite the moon, which results in tidal forces, and tidal forces affect both the Earth's crust and oceans. So the moon pulls a little bit on our water, and it makes like bulges, and that's what creates tides, which is weird to think about. Um, So we have eclipses, right? Yes. So eclipses only occur when the sun, the Earth, and the moon are all in a straight line, and that's called syzygy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, solar eclipses occur at new moon when the moon is between the sun and the earth. And in contrast, lunar eclipses occur at full moon when the earth is between the sun and the moon. Yes. So the apparent size of the moon is roughly the same size as that of the sun. And the sun is much larger than the moon, but is vastly greater distance that gives it the same apparent size as the much closer and much smaller moon from the perspective of earth. So what's really crazy is that despite like, the orbits of the of the Earth around the Sun and the Moon around the Earth and the distant the distances between all of those heavenly bodies and the size of the Moon and the size of the Sun and the size of the Earth and the things we can see and like the angles and everything, it just so happens that the Moon to us when it covers the Sun covers the entirety of the Sun and all you can see is the Corona, which is like mm-hmm. the like the fiery part on the outside. Which is like mathematically like an improbability, like a total improbability that these three things just kind of randomly happen to just like overlap on each other every so often. So that's really cool. Starting to get your space panic. Right? Space panic is a real thing. Space madness. (laughs) You have space lunacy. Um, So in a total eclipse, the moon completely covers the disk of the sun and the solar corona becomes visible to the naked eye, which was, again, that's what you see when it covers it. And uh, Steve and I went down to Tennessee a couple years ago to see the full solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. And it was the wildest thing that's ever happened to me. I felt like the world was ending. All of the shadows, like as the moon was like slowly covering the sun, they started to double. Uh-huh. Like all the shadows are like, like you have double vision it's very weird it started to like cool off considerably and all like the crickets and the birds started chirping like nighttime it was the weirdest it was the weirdest thing the good news is next time you don't have to drive that far because rochester is in the totality path yep it's gonna be great if if we can see it because it's at the beginning of april and we all know what the beginning of april is like you might be in a blizzard yeah and Steve said, if we have bad weather here, he's going to get in the car and he's just going to drive until he gets to a clear spot and in the totality. And you're fine. I'm with- fine. I saw it once. It's okay. <laughs> he can go. No big deal. So, um, however, because the distance between the moon and the earth is very slowly increasing over time, the angular diameter of the moon is decreasing. Also, as it evolves toward becoming a red giant, the size of the sun and its apparent diameter in the sky are slowly increasing. So eventually, in millions of years, we won't get such a perfect solar eclipse. Also, we'll all be dead. Um, But that's neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. This isn't a sun episode. Sorry. I'm going to reserve all my questions about the sun becoming a red giant. Oh, oh. No, the sun, um, in the evolution of, of a sun as a star, anywhere in the, the universe. The sun, our nearest star. Our nearest star, the sun, 
Um, because uh, there's the idea of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Entropy. Like all ever since the Big Bang, every every object in the universe is slowly moving away from each other. Mm-hmm. So the, the sun is eventually just going to explode and become a giant, a red giant, which is, and it's going to envelop everything. It's going to take us. It's going to take all our closest friends. And it's just going to go. But this won't happen for another millions of years. So we're okay now. <laughs> Julia's. I feel like Michael in the good place. Yes. When he learns about death. Yes. It's, it's a real existential nightmare. So, but let's go back in time. How about we do that? All right. How about we go back history. in time? About- I feel comfortable with history. Yeah. Things we know. History, not the future. Not- history. <laughs> you should make a teacher. Teacher. <laughs> history, not the future. <laughs> Safe. So one of the earliest discovered possible depictions of the moon is a 5,000-year-old rock carving, which is called Orthostat 47 at Nouth, Ireland. <gasps> Isn't that wow. cool? They were like, look at that big, shiny thing. That's, well, I'm going to draw it. I'm okay. In cave. Ireland. Yeah, in Ireland, That's which is cool. really interesting. So understanding uh, the moon's cycles was an early development of astronomy. The Chinese astronomer Shi Shen, uh, who was living in the 4th century BC, gave instructions for predicting solar and lunar eclipses. Ooh. Uh, later, the physical form of the moon and the cause of moonlight became understood. Uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Anaxagoras, uh, who was around in like 428 BC, he reasoned that the sun and the moon were both giant spherical rocks and that the latter reflected the light of the former, which is kind of a big deal. Um, although the Chinese of the Han dynasty believed that the moon to be energy equated to chi, their radiating influence theory also recognized that the light of the moon was merely a reflection of the sun. And Jing Fang from 78 to 37 BC noted the sphericity of the moon, like noticed how close to a sphere it was. In the second century AD, Lucian wrote the novel, A True Story, in which the heroes travel to the moon and meet its inhabitants. Obviously, it's not a real true story. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) Maybe he didn't know the definition of that word. (laughs) It's an ironic title. In 499 AD, the Indian astronomer, Arabata mentioned in his Arabatia that reflected sunlight is the cause of the shining of the moon. And the astronomer and physicist Alhazen found that sunlight was not reflected from the moon like a mirror, but that the light was emitted from every part of the moon's sunlit surface in all directions. So it's not like the moon is flat and it's uh-huh. just like being bang with the light. It's something that's reflecting off of all the parts of this spherical moon, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So Shen Kuo of the Song Dynasty created an allegory equating the waxing and waning of the moon to a round ball of reflective silver that, when doused with white powder and viewed from the side, would appear to be a crescent, Hmm. which is kind of a cool concept. So in Aristotle's depiction of the universe, the moon marked the boundary between the spheres of the mutable elements, earth, air, water, and fire, and the imperishable stars of ether, which is an influential philosophy that would dominate for centuries. Uh, However, in the second century BC, uh, Seleucus of Seleucia correctly theorized that tides were due to the attraction of the moon and that their height depended on the moon's position relative to the sun. And in the same century, uh, Aristarchus computed the size and distance of the moon from Earth, obtaining a value of about 20 times the radius of Earth for the distance. So these are people like doing like what you would think is like high level math and like astronomical concepts. 
earlier than you would assume. Wow. So these figures were greatly improved by Ptolemy and his values of a mean distance of 59 times Earth radius and a diameter of 0.292 Earth diameters were close to the correct value of about 60 and 0.273 respectively. So he got pretty close. Um, Archimedes designed a planetarium that could calculate the motions of the moon and other objects in the solar system. And during the Middle Ages, before the invention of the telescope, the moon was increasingly recognized as a sphere, though many believe that it was, quote, perfectly smooth. So even while some people thought the Earth was flat, yes. they still thought that the moon was round. Yes. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because they can see like the shadows, like the waxing okay, and the waning. Yeah. You see like that curvature. Um, and so that I like you can see that through a telescope that there is like a curve to it because she's thick. Uh, so in 1609, Galileo Galilei drew one of the first telescopic drawings of the moon in his book, uh, Sidereus Nuncius, and noted that it was not smooth but had mountains and craters. Uh, Thomas Harriot had made but not published such drawings a few months earlier, and telescopic mapping of the moon followed. Later in the 17th century, the efforts of Giovanni Battista Riccoli and Francesco Maria Grimaldi led to the system of naming of lunar features in use today. I think you went into a fugue. I know. You read the name of your fellow paisanos. I, I know. I went, <laughs> I went to Capri and I had you know some lobster ravioli and now I'm back. Um, the more exact 1834-36 Mappa Selenografica of Wilhelm Beer and Johann Heinrich Modler and their associated 1837 book Der Monde, the first trigonometrically accurate study of lunar features, included the heights of more than a thousand mountains and introduced the study of the moon at accuracies possible in early geography, in earthly geography. Sine, cosine, tangent. Sine, cosine, tangent. So <laughs> lunar craters. So they were like measuring the height of these mountains. Wow. Um, like from Earth. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, it's this high, which is crazy. So lunar craters, first noted by Galileo, were thought to be volcanic until the 1870s proposal of Richard Proctor that they were formed by collisions. So they they were kind of both right because there was like some volcanic activity and there was also some craters. But I think the idea of like, was it concave or convex? Do you okay. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they couldn't tell what direction it was going. So this view gained support in 1892 from the experimentation of geologist Grove Carl Gilbert and from comparative studies from 1920 to the 1940s, leading to the development of lunar stratigraphy, which by the 1950s was becoming a new and growing branch of astrogeology. So let's hurry it on up. This Cold War-inspired space race between the Soviet Union and the U.S. led to an acceleration of interest in exploration of the moon. Don't worry, I already did an Apollo episode. It's very good. It's called Dads in Space. You should. Very good. It's very good. Um, But we'll go around the Apollo missions. We'll go like before and after, and then you can kind of, you can stop me, and then you can fill in with the other. So spacecraft from the Soviet Union's Luna program was the first to accomplish a number of goals. Uh, Following three unnamed failed missions in 1958, the first human-made object to escape Earth's gravity and pass near the moon was Luna 1. Uh, The first human-made object to impact the lunar surface was Luna 2, and the first photographs of the normally occluded far side of the moon was made by Luna 3, all in 1959. Okay. Yeah. Big year. Big year for the Soviet Union. So the first spacecraft to perform a successful lunar soft landing was Luna 9, and the first unmanned vehicle to orbit the moon was Luna 10, both in 1966. Very creative with their names, by the way. They... 
put more effort into like, I'm assuming the tech and science <laughs> than the names. We, on the other hand, we were like, Mercury, Apollo, you know, Gemini. Discovery. Yeah, please. We won though, so it's better. <laughs> uh, rock and soil samples were brought back to Earth by three Luna sample return missions. Uh, Luna 16 in 1970, Luna 20 in 1972, and Luna 24 in 1976. And two pioneering robotic rovers landed on the moon in 1970 and 1973 as a part of a Soviet program. Uh, Luna 24 was the last Soviet Russian mission to the moon. And that was in 1976. Uh, after the first moon race, there were years of near quietude, but starting in the 1990s, many more countries have become involved in direct exploration of moon. Like we want to go to the moon. Yeah. Well, we went and then uh, the we U S government was like, that's enough. <laughs> we're done with that. Whatever. So in 1990, Japan became the third country to place a spacecraft into lunar orbit with its Haiten spacecraft. And in 1994, the U.S. sent the Joint Defense Department slash NASA spacecraft Clementine to lunar orbit. Clementine, isn't That's that cute? That's a cute name. Uh, this mission obtained the first near-global topographic map of the moon and the first global multispectral images of the lunar surface. And this was followed in 1998 by the Lunar Prospector mission, whose instruments indicated the presence of excess hydrogen at the lunar poles, which is likely to have been caused by the presence of water ice. And we water have, ice, water. water, water ice, like you're down Philly, no, going out like Rita's, no, like ice that's made from water. Wow, jeez, <laughs> he's getting some water ice. Okay, so <laughs> they found ice from water on the poles. Which the reason why we're so obsessed with finding water on the moon or any planet is because the presence of water means that there can be the presence of like life, life, Uh because we know on our planet that water is conducive to like very small, tiny organisms and bacteria and all sorts of things. So if there is water, the next step is there must be some sort of life. And that's like what that's the first of many steps to determine Mm -hmm. what's going on out there. So. Um, what's on the moon? So although Luna landers scattered pennants of the Soviet Union on the moon and U.S. flags were symbolically planted at their landing sites by the Apollo astronauts, no nation claims ownership of any part of the moon's surface. The moon is neutral. Russia, China, and the U.S. are party to the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, which is, that's the real name of it, which defines the moon in all outer space as, quote, the province of all mankind. So if you... So these people that like want to build a colony on the moon. Yeah. They can just do that. Um, I, no, I don't think so. I think the treaty is like no, no one it's is not, on the moon. It's not Russia's moon. It's no. It's not the United States. It's moon. no one's moon. Okay. And if we were going to do a colonization, it would have to be a joint effort amongst as many people as like okay. earth. Earth mm-hmm. would have to like jointly be like, let's go colonize the moon. So. Um, This treaty also restricts the use of the moon for peaceful purposes, explicitly banning military installations and weapons of mass destruction, thankfully. So the 1979 moon agreement was created to restrict the exploitation of the moon's resources by any single nation. Um, But as November 2016, it has been signed and ratified by only 18 nations, none of which engages in self-launched human space explorations or have has plans to do so. So like, you know, South Africa is like, yeah, okay. Thanks, I Bhutan. guess. Bhutan. Yeah. It's like, Finland's like, all right, yeah, I, no, we won't do anything mean on the moon. Thanks. You Can know? Can you imagine being, 
if you're the person that like had to draft all this, would you be like a space lawyer? Yes. There are such things as space lawyers because there was a recent, and oh, I'm going to mess yeah. this up, mm-hmm. that one, uh, these two astronauts, this yes. this couple, the one she was up in ISS and they were getting divorced uh-huh. and um, she accessed her ex-wife's or soon to be ex-wife's mm-hmm. email mm-hmm. while she was up there. And that is considered to be the first crime done in space the first space crime which of course is happening in a like it's of course it's a divorce it's not anything cool like murder it's just like litigation but it's still (laughs) a space crime so oh my gosh can you imagine that we're gonna be probably during our lifetime there's gonna be a space murder oh yeah absolutely i mean we've had so many movies about it that it's only a matter of time space crime and then that means oh my god space police Real life space police. <laughs> yeah. I imagine. They're, yeah, they're on tiny like um, space um, motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the noise they make. They're very cool. Um, so uh, although several individuals have made claims to the moon in whole or in part, none of these are considered credible. So like some crazy guy who wears a tinfoil head is like, I own the moon. And everyone's like, no, you Get don't. Get off my moon. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite 30 Rock jokes is when her, when Liz and Buzz Aldrin just yell at the moon. Yeah. I walked on your face. So, um, so uh, the patterns of like the, the brighter highlands and the darker Maria create the patterns seen by different cultures as the man and the moon, the rabbit and the buffalo among others. Um, so this what? is, yeah. So when you look at the, at the moon surface from the ground, you can kind of see the outline of a rabbit sometimes. I've never heard of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes you can see a, a buffalo, which is just is like just a modification. Because you're from here. They told you that. Who's talking about who's... I'm from where? I'm from where? What are you trying to say? <laughs> the people in Buffalo were like, you can look at the moon and see a buffalo. Oh, oh. <laughs> look, it's a Bills fan. <laughs> the moon's a Bills fan. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> Twitter hasn't got a hold of that yet. No, the Bills Mafia but, does not yet know about that. Well, it's only a matter of time, let's be honest. They're going to paint I've, it red and blue. I've never heard of the other shapes. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the rabbit, I think the rabbit or the buffalo are N- Native American. Okay. I think those are like like Native American cultural sure. things. Um, so in many prehistoric and ancient cultures, the moon was personified as a deity or other supernatural phenomenon, and astrological views of the moon continue to be propagated today. So uh, in the Proto-Indo-European religion, the moon was personified as the male god Menat. And the ancient Sumerians believed that the moon was the god Nana, which was the father of Ainana, the goddess of the planet Venus, and Utu, the goddess of the sun. Uh, Nana was later known as Sin and was particularly associated with magic and sorcery. And in Greco-Roman mythology, the sun and the moon are represented as male and female, respectively. Helios, Sol, and Selene, Luna. Um, This is a development unique to the Eastern Mediterranean and traces of an earlier male moon god in the Greek tradition are preserved in the figure of Menelaus. Um, So in Mesopotamian iconography, the crescent was the primary symbol of Nana scene. And in ancient Greek art, the moon goddess Selene was represented wearing a crescent on her headgear in an arrangement reminiscent of horns. Mm -hmm. So the crescent, like the curved part is actually at the brow. Um, the star and crescent arrangement also goes back to the Bronze Age, representing either the sun and moon or the moon and planet Venus in combination. Uh, it came to represent the goddess Artemis or Hecate, and via the patronage of Hecate came to be used as a symbol of Byzantium. 
Um, an iconographic tradition of representing the sun and moon with faces developed in the late medieval period. So that idea of like the sun and the moon, like kind of, we see it all the time yeah. in like garden stuff for some reason. <laughs> it's like a big deal. Um, so the splitting of the moon or like the, dis- the moon splitting in two is a miracle attributed to Muhammad in the Islamic religion. Oh, in the Muslim religion. Yeah. Hmm. So the moon's regular. So this is, this is now we're back to like, you know, real stuff. Uh, <laughs> The moon's regular phases make it a very convenient timepiece, and periods of its waxing and waning form the basis of many of the oldest calendars. Which is which? Okay, so waxing is when it's bulging, okay. when it's like getting bigger, uh-huh. and waning means it's getting smaller. Great. And so um, the moon phases go like full uh, waning gibbous, uh, half moon, uh, crescent wow. new. Wow. And then it goes new, crescent, half moon, waxing gibbous, full. So that's like the the moon phases. What's gibbous mean? Gibbous means bulge or something. Like it's a half moon with like a little extra like pie slice in there. Like a little bloop. Like he ate too many burgers. Because he's thick. Uh, (laughs) And that's the rule of three, everybody. Um, Okay. So uh, tally sticks, notched bones dating as far back as 20 to 30,000 years ago are believed by some to mark the faces of the moon. And tally sticks are something that um, Eric C. talked to us about in our math episode in September. Um, The approximate 30-day month is an approximation of the lunar cycle. And most historical calendars are lunisolar. So they they combine the times of the sun being out and the moon being out. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 7th century Islamic calendar is an exceptional example of purely lunar calendar. Uh, months are traditionally determined by their visual sighting of the halal or the earliest crescent moon over the horizon. So the um, the waxing crescent. So the crescent that's okay. early in the month is the halal. So the moon has long been associated with insanity and irrationality. The words lunacy and lunatic are derived from the Latin name for the moon, Luna, obviously. Philosophers Aristotle and Pliny the Elder argued that the full moon induced insanity in susceptible individuals, believing that the brain, which is mostly water, must be affected by the moon and its power over the tides. However, the moon's gravity is too slight to affect any single person. So, not true. Even today, people who believe in a lunar effect claim that admissions to psychiatric hospitals, traffic accidents, homicides, or suicides increase during a full moon, but dozens of studies invalidate those claims. However, I am positive that your mother and my mother Mm -hmm. will attribute to the power of a full moon at a hospital. Yes. And I don't disagree with them. The crazies come out. Yeah, the crazies come out on a full moon. A super moon. What is a super moon? I have been waiting. Ever since you told me you were going to do an episode on the moon, I've been waiting to hear when you were going to bust out the super the moon. Accent. The oh, super moon. The moon. It's a super. I don't know where it came from. I is still it don't from know. The, is it like Minions thing? I don't know. Is I don't it know from a Despicable Me? It might be from Despicable Me, but I kind of like the bastard. Super the moon. So the super moon, it is a full moon or a new moon that nearly coincides with perigee. So perigee is the closest that the moon comes to the earth in its elliptical orbit. How's that spelled? P-E-R-I-G-E. The opposite is apogee, farthest away. So also the name of a wonderful wine bar here in Rochester. We love apogee. They're great. Um, So this results in a slightly larger than usual apparent size of the lunar disk as viewed from earth. It actually looks like... Uh, noticeably like fatter and bigger and brighter 
because so it's like closer. when you see when when you're like that moon looks really big tonight that might Is be that a it? super moon yes but here's the thing because of the earth's atmosphere the moon looks bigger anyway, regardless, on a full moon closer to the horizon mm-hmm. because of just the way that the atmosphere is and the way we see through like the atmosphere. And as the moon rises, it seems to get smaller okay. and farther away. But a supermoon is actually like the, the moon actually is closer. actually physically closer. Okay. Yes. So because it's been it's been it's been waggling. It's been a waggling and a wiggling. Uh, so the technical name is called a perigee syzygy. Yeah. Um, or a full or new moon around perigee, but I totally love supermoon better. So the term supermoon is astrological in origin and has no precise astronomical definition. It was coined first by astrologer Richard Nola in 1979 in Dell Horoscope magazine. So supermoon is actually not a scientific term at all. <laughs> Um, the real association of the moon with both oceanic and crustal tides has led to claims that the supermoon phenomenon may be associated with increased risk of events like earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Ooh, interesting. But no such link has been found. The opposite phenomenon, an apogee syzygy, or a full or new moon around apogee, so when the moon is farther away, has been called a micromoon. Aww, it's so wee. It's so little. Um, of the possible 12 or 13 full or new moons each year, usually three or four may be classified as supermoons as commonly defined. So the most recent full supermoon occurred on March 21st, 2019. Okay. And the next one will be on February 9th, 2020. Perfect. Perfect. So Mark it on your calendars, everybody. That's Unless when the, you're listening to this past that date in the, which... We can't help sorry. you. Yep. Got to wait for the next one, which will probably be in like a couple of months. So don't worry about it. Um, a perigee syzygy. A perigee syzygy, a.k.a. a supermoon. Sidebar, I would be remiss as an archivist yeah. of video game history if Please. I did not also point out that right now, syzygy was the original name for Atari, the company. Wow. They okay. originally founded under syzygy, but then another company like had that name, so they changed it to Atari, which is from the Japanese for the game Go. So oh, okay. Just, just as an FYI. There's your video game it's sidebar. A, it's good trivia, Jewel. I appreciate it. And our listeners appreciate it. And bracket. And bracket. So a blue moon. What's a blue moon? Yeah. Right? What the heck is a blue moon? Right? So a blue moon is an additional full moon that appears in a subdivision of a year. Either the third of four full moons in a season or a second full moon in a month of the comet and calendar. So what does that mean? So um, we... Uh, our seasons were originally marked by the moons, mm-hmm. by the full moons. And so in a season, like an, in a solstice, you have normally have three full moons. Yeah. But a blue moon nestles itself between the second and third, making it the real third moon. And that's the blue moon. Okay. Uh, the other way of a blue moon is that it's the second full moon in a month which is normal normally doesn't happen. Okay. So it's like if you get paid bi-weekly and twice a year you accidentally get paid three times in exactly. one month instead of twice. That's like a blue moon. Exactly. Exactly like that. So the term has traditionally in the main farmer's almanac referred to an extra full moon where a year which normally has 12 full moons has 13 instead. So it's basically the same thing like two full moons in a month. 
The blue moon reference is applied to the third full moon in a season with four full moons. That's correcting the timing of the last month of a season that would have otherwise been expected too early. So it's not the last, it's not the fourth moon. Mm-hmm. It's the third moon because it got okay. like snuck in there. Um, so this, this happens every two to three years. It's not that rare. Okay. Um, the term blue, why it's called a blue moon, uh, might be a bastardization of the old English word for betray, which <gasps> is belou. Ooh. Yeah. So the idea was that in um, the Lenten season, there is a betrayal moon that sneaks in in the third slot Ooh. that that like keeps you from getting to the holy like holidays. Right. So it's the betrayal moon. Yeah. That's interesting because Easter... Easter is one of like the those super variable holidays and it's because it's like the fourth Sunday after the first full moon exactly. in the whatever. Yeah. And I always found that that was really strange that it wasn't just like, it's March 28th. Yeah. Like that it was always reliant on the moon. Exactly. And that goes back to the combination, the early church combining with pagan holidays to like help facilitate like holidays and like bringing more this, yeah. of the pagan people into the church. So the betrayal moon. Interesting. Isn't that cool? I know. I love so that. So it's not really blue. It's not really blue. It's what you're telling me. Um, the only time a moon would look blue is if there are particles in the atmosphere, like after a, like a terrible storm or like a volcanic eruption or whatever, like the moon might look like a dusty blue color. Okay. Um, but that, is that That means something's wrong that means something's wrong that means something happened (laughs) bad things um a harvest moon or a hunter's moon or a strawberry moon like you you hear about these these types of moons it's just the moon that goes with the season it's in so before we had julian calendar months we watched the moons coincide with the seasons so harvest or hunter moons are september october strawberry moon is june where you would where you would like pick your strawberries pink moon is april for some reason wolf moon is january because that's when the because the deep cold of winter like that kind of thing so this goes back to um native american traditions this goes back to early like european traditions like that kind of thing so there's a bunch of different like moon names for each month of the year interesting yeah it's kind of cool um, in Hinduism, most festivals are celebrated on auspicious days, and many of the Hindu festivals are celebrated on days with a full moon at night. It's called Purnima. Uh, different parts of India celebrate the same day with different names, but t- typically there are 13 altogether. So oh, it's the... Cool. Um, and finally, a blood moon. <laughs> yeah. A blood moon is when the full moon turns a reddish color during a lunar eclipse. So it's the shadow of the earth on the moon from the sun behind it. Um, when the moon moves into Earth's shadow, a lunar eclipse occurs during which all or part of the moon's face may appear reddish due to the Rayleigh scattering of blue wavelengths and the refraction of sunlight through Earth's atmosphere. Uh, therefore, a lunar eclipse occurs about every six months and often two weeks before or after a solar eclipse, which is really interesting. Is it bad luck if you see a blood moon? I don't think so. There was like, um, I do remember in the religion section of Barnes and, well, excuse me, Schmarns and Bobel. <laughs> Schwarz and Bobel, the this little bookstore that I used to work at, um, there was a um, an apocalyptic book that was called Four Blood Moons that was go that uh, supposedly was supposed to accurately predict the second coming of Christ because of there were four blood moons that year. There just happened to be I think it was like 2012 or something because it was, oh, oh, it was the with Mayan the Mayan calendar, calendar year. thing too. 
So there were, there just happened to be four blood moons that year because there were four lunar eclipses. And frankly, it, we have so many lunar eclipses because it just, that's how it works out. Was that also the year we were supposed to get raptured? Yes, that was the year we were supposed to get raptured. And I was in New York at the time. And I remember we were taking a tour with the, um, at the Tenement Museum on the Lower mm-hmm. East Side. Highly recommend it. It's a great museum. And the girl who worked there was giving it, was like standing on the street corner, like showing us the tenement, like before we went in. And a guy walked by and was like, 6 10 p.m., we're all going to heaven. And she was like, he's crazy. Anyway, this is the Tenement Museum <laughs> built in. It was, it was out of control. It was a very weird day. But um, so, my. Sorry for no. that derail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, prophecies. What are you going to do? Um, so, my quiz today. Because the moon tells us the months, and we have a lot of things around months, is called Movable Feast, a quiz on holidays. Question number one. We've talked about a couple of pagan holidays, including Samhain, or commonly Halloween. But another holiday that the pagans celebrate, that is the precursor to Christmas, is celebrated during the six days leading up to midwinter bringing sprigs and wreaths of evergreenery into the home and tree, not log, decorating are also common during this time. What is this Germanic holiday? Question number two. This American holiday is also my dad's birthday, and the earliest known observance of it occurred in Buffalo, New York, in either 1873 or 1874. Julius Francis, a Buffalo druggist, made it his life's mission and repeatedly petitioned Congress to establish it as a legal holiday. In the movie musical Holiday Inn, the musical number associated with the holiday is frequently edited out for broadcast, for obvious reasons. What holiday am I talking about? Question number three. This, ahem, Zaftig Day refers to events of the carnival celebration, beginning on or after the Christian feasts of the Epiphany. What holiday am I talking about? Question number four. Multiple choice. In what year did Mother's Day become an official national holiday? A, 1866, B, 1914, C, 1933, or D, 1964? Question number five. The Jewish holiday of Shavuot marks the all-important wheat harvest in Israel, and it commemorates the anniversary of the day when God gave what important Jewish religious text to the nation of Israel assembled at Mount Sinai. Question number six. Don't think too hard about the name. This holiday, celebrated on June 19th, commemorates the June 19th, 1865 announcement of the abolition of slavery in Texas, and more generally, the emancipation of enslaved African Americans throughout the former Confederate States of America. What holiday am I talking about? Question number seven. August 21st is Ninoy Aquino Day in this country where Senator Benino Ninoy Aquino Jr. was an influential and inspirational political figure who fought for independence and a free democracy. After serving prison time for his opposition to then-President Fernando Marcos, Aquino, who had gone into exile upon his release, planned on re-entering politics. Tragically, he was assassinated upon returning to the islands in 1983. What country celebrates Nino Aquino Day? Question number eight. We're recording this on October 1st, which you might not be surprised to hear is a holiday. It is the national day of what communist country, which founded the holiday in 1949 with a ceremony celebrating the forming of the central people's government taking place on the same day that year. What country am I talking about? 
question number nine. Which came first, officially, meaning when it was proclaimed and observed by its respective government? Was it Canadian Thanksgiving or American Thanksgiving? And finally, question number 10. Name the French holiday associated with July 14th. We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. I'm still afraid If you weren't real I would make you up Now I wish that I could follow through I know that your love is true and deep As the sea But right now Everything you want is wrong And right now All your dreams are waking up Oh, you're feeling good? All right. I feel all right. All okay. Right, all right. Here we go. Question number one. We've talked about a couple of pagan holidays, including Samhain, or commonly Halloween. But another holiday that the pagans celebrate is the precursor to Christmas, celebrated during the six days leading up to midwinter, bringing sprigs and wreaths of evergreenery into the home and tree, not log decorating, are also common during this time. What is this Germanic holiday? This is the one I was least knowing about when we were going, when you were reading the questions. All right. Tree decorating. Mm -hmm. Not log decorating. Um, um, I'll just say the the winter solstice. Um, It is called the winter solstice. So I'm going to give it to you. Okay. But it's called Yule. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. like the Yule. So the reversal of the sun's ebbing presence in the sky symbolizes the rebirth of the solar god and presages the return of fertile season. Uh, from Germanic to Roman tradition, this is the most important time of celebration. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. Question Yule tide. Yule tide. Yeah. Yule. Yule tide. Winter solstice. Same diff. Yeah. Uh, my friend Elizabeth always has a winter solstice party in December. Instead of a Christmas party. That's great. Yeah. Less pressure. Yeah, you know? way less pressure. She can have it any time during the month. It's just a get together. Not a big deal. Everybody brings food. It's great. Um, question number two. This American holiday is also my dad's birthday. And the earliest known observance of it occurred in Buffalo, New York in either 1873 or 1874. Julius Francis, a Buffalo druggist, made it his life mission and repeatedly petitioned Congress to establish it as a legal holiday. In the movie musical Holiday Inn, the musical number associated with the holiday is frequently edited out for broadcast for obvious reasons. What holiday am I talking about? Well, okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I know when your dad's birthday is. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's also my youngest, dumbest brother's birthday. Oh, okay. It's February 12th. It is. Uh, and that's about the time of President's Day. Yes. But it's... At a the specific president? A specific this president. This is... Um, Lincoln's birthday. It is Lincoln's birthday, February 12th. 
Um, Lincoln's birthday was never a U.S. federal government holiday. However, many state governments have officially renamed their Washington's birthday state holiday as President's Day. Um, Washington and Lincoln Day or other such designations which explicitly or implicitly celebrate Lincoln's birthday. Uh, regardless of the official name and purpose, celebrations and commemorations honor about the third Monday often include honoring Lincoln. And the reason why um, the musical number associated with uh, Lincoln's birthday in Holiday Inn is because they do it entirely in blackface. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I've never seen this. It's a song. It's a great movie. Um, it's a it's essentially like a Christmas movie because mm-hmm. they start at Christmas and then they end at Christmas or they end at New Year's, whatever. Uh-huh. It's still like a holiday movie. It's great. It's very funny. Um, a while back, they decided like, yeeshams, we should not do this. The song is called Abraham and um, the all of the, like the waiters at the Holiday Inn are in blackface and oh. like, ooh, and they sing oh, in- boy. Yeah, and they sing in like a very affected patois and it's very, it's- it's disturbing okay i didn't i had no idea yeah yep um otherwise <laughs> great movie um uh feet tapping, tapping. tapping. What's his fred name? astaire fred astaire fred astaire is in it and there is um he does a new year's dance is he on the ceiling uh no but what he does is he's drunk like he shows up drunk mm-hmm. because his wife left him and he gets pushed out on the dance floor because they're like, oh, my God, it's this famous guy. They push him out into the dance floor. And so he starts dancing with this woman and he's drunk. And it's a great dance. But the thing is, Fred Astaire would do like before he did two shots of whiskey before the first take and one shot of whiskey in between every take uh-huh. to like really get the right like <laughs> motivation. And it the one that sh- the, the take that ended up in the movie was the eighth take. <laughs> So he was just like blasted. He was destroyed, but he still <laughs> dances incredibly beautifully. And it's a very funny scene. So I highly recommend a holiday in. Um, so there you go. Uh, question number three, this ahem Zafdig day refers to events of the carnival celebration beginning on or after the Christian feasts of the epiphany. What holiday am I talking about? It's Mardi Gras. It is Mardi Gras or fat Tuesday. Uh, Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday, reflecting the practice of the last night of eating rich, fatty foods before the ritual fasting of the Lenten season. Mardi Gras is also known as Shrove Tuesday, which is derived from the word shrive, meaning to administer the sacrament of confession to or absolve. The day before Ash Wednesday. The day before Ash Wednesday. The start date of Lent. Yes. And the day, and then it goes uh, Fat Tuesday. Ash Wednesday, Maundy Thursday. Well, that's not until Lent's over. You get Maundy Thursday, then Good Friday, then, then Easter Fri- Saturday, then right, Easter right, Sunday. Right. So there's yes. like 37 days between Ash Wednesday and yeah. a lot of Maundy Catholic Thursday. holidays. I was thinking about including feast days in here, but it's oh, just boy, ugh, there's too hard. There's so many. Everyone has one. Everyone's got one. No St. Lauren, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. Multiple choice. In what year did Mother's Day become an official national holiday? 1866, 1914, 1933, or 1964? All right. Here's the thing. Okay. I know all about this lady and her sure. backstory and how so she wanted a Mother's Day so bad because so bad, her right? mother was the most perfect she woman was the most wonderful to have woman. ever been a mother. And then she got Mother's Day to be the holiday, but then it turns out she didn't want it to be for all the mothers. No. She just wanted it to be for her. Her mother. She did. That's true. And 
What were the options for B and C? <laughs> what were B and C? B and C were 1914 and 1933. I'll go 1933. Damn it. It was 1914. One. Sorry. Um, so it was first celebrated in 1908. Like you said, Anna Jarvis held a memorial for her dear sweet mother at St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. Um, uh, actually, that church was still in existence, now holds the International Mother's Day Shrine. Oh. Um, and so uh, in 1908, this is funny, the U.S. Congress rejected a proposal by her to make Mother's Day an official holiday, joking that they would also have to proclaim a mother-in-law's day. Then, um, Yeah. However, owing to her efforts, Anna Jarvis, by 1911, all U.S. states observed the holiday, with some of them officially recognizing Mother's Day as a local holiday. Um, and in 1914, Woodrow Wilson signed a proclamation designating Mother's Day, which is held on the second Sunday in May. Question number five, the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, 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 marks the all-important wheat harvest in Israel, and it commemorates the anniversary of the day when God gave what important Jewish religious text to the nation of Israel assembled at Mount Sinai? Well, I'm going to flip a coin here. Okay. I'm going to say the Talmud. Ooh, it's you the other one. wrong. It's the Torah. It's the Torah. Yes. So... Torah means instruction, teaching, or law in Hebrew. It can most specifically mean the first five books um, of the 24 books of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible. It can also mean the continued narrative from all the 24 books from the book of Genesis to the end of the Tanakh, which is Chronicles. And it can even mean the totality of Jewish teachings, culture, and practice, whether derived from biblical texts or later rabbinic writings. The Talmud is the central text of rabbinic Judaism and the primary source of Jewish religious law, which is called the Halakha and Jewish theology. So the Talmud is more of like the laws. Okay. Um, and has more to do with rabbinic, like the rabbis, mm-hmm. their, te- their like instruction, yes. mm-hmm. while the Torah is like for the people kind of okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. Question number six. Don't think too hard about the name. This holiday, celebrated on June 19th, commemorates the June 19th, 1865 announcement of the abolition of slavery in Texas and more generally the emancipation of enslaved African Americans throughout the former Confederate States of America. What holiday am I talking about? It is Juneteenth. That is Juneteenth. Um, The reason being, Texas was the most remote of the slave states and the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1st, 1863 was not enforced there until after the Confederacy fell. Uh, Traditions include public readings of the Emancipation Proclamation, singing traditional songs such as Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, and Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is considered the African-American national anthem. Uh, Beyonce sang it at the beginning of her homecoming uh, at um, the concert series that's on Netflix. It's wonderful. She did a great job. Uh, And reading of works by noted African-American writers such as Ralph Ellison and Maya Angelou. Uh, celebrations include rodeos, street fairs, cookouts, family reunions, park parties, historical reenactments, or Miss Juneteenth contests. Uh, the Muscogos, which are descendants of black Seminoles of Coahuila, Mexico, also celebrate Juneteenth, okay. which is interesting. Uh, question number seven, August 21st is Ninoy Aquino Day in this country, where Senator Benino Ninoy Aquino Jr. was an influential and inspirational political figure who fought for independence and a free democracy. After serving prison time for his opposition to then-President Ferdinand Marcos, Aquino, who had gone into exile upon his release, planned on re-entering politics. Tragically, he was assassinated upon returning to the islands in 1983. What country celebrates Ninoy Aquino Day? 
Philippines? It is the Philippines. This holiday was created in 2004. And it forever commemorates the life and legacy of a beloved hero of freedom. Uh, Filipinos remember the ultimate sacrifice that Nino, Ninoy Aquino, which is a very difficult name to say, made for the people of the Philippines. Today, Filipinos remember Aquino's famous words, the Filipino is worth dying for. Ooh. Which is a beautiful thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, question number eight. We're recording this on October 1st, which you might not be surprised to hear is a holiday. It is the national day of what communist country, which founded the holiday in 1949 with a ceremony celebrating the forming of the central people's government taking place on the same day that year. What country am I talking about? It's China. It is the people's Republic of China. There's usually a huge military parade. Of course. I believe it. Yeah. Question number nine, which came first officially, meaning when it was proclaimed and observed by its respective governments. Canadian Thanksgiving or American Thanksgiving? Just based on probability here. Okay. I know that American Thanksgiving, like it happened a lot, but like it wasn't official for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that Canadian Thanksgiving came first. Unfortunately. Ah, (laughs) Sorry. It is American Thanksgiving. It was made official by FDR in 1939, while the Canadian Parliament proclaimed Thanksgiving to be observed in Canada on its present date in 1957. So it was like 18 years later. Okay. And finally, question number 10. Name the French holiday associated with July 14th. That's uh, Bastille Day. It is Bastille Day. You know what else it is? It's Alice Cooper Fan Day. Why did you do this? I did. I know. I brought him back. He won't leave me alone. (laughs) No. Leave us alone, Alice. We did an episode. I thought we had like smudged him out of I our know. lives. We gotta we gotta burn some sage in the corners and do some sweeping. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If <laughs> if you have some more Alice Cooper related trivia tidbits that you think we need to say out loud in order to, <laughs> to get him, him to leave us alone, yeah. uh, please go ahead and send them to us. Uh, we do have a bit of listener submitted trivia for us. Ooh, okay, we'll yeah. do the song. Listen to submitted trivia. I started way too high on no, that. No, it's okay. It was good. Um, so uh, from uh, reader Eric F. Thank you, Eric. Um, he wrote in that based on uh, my two uh, Just Desserts episodes, um, the pastry that we in America called the Danish is not from Denmark. Um, he said that he learned this originally in Swedish, but it's the same in Danish as well. That pastry is called Wienerbrød, meaning Vienna bread. It was originally from Vienna, but apparently they loved it so much in Denmark that they mastered it and started producing it enough that the English-speaking world learned of it through Danish, giving it its English name. That's wonderful. A Danish. I mean, it's delicious. Delicious. In any, in any language, honestly. What's your favorite kind? What's my favorite kind of Danish? Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm going to say, here's, okay. Okay. I'm going to say like a raspberry. Okay. Okay. Or cheese. Cheese. By far. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that was going to be a controversial choice. But oh, no. Not in this room. No, no. No. That's like a cheesecake. Yes. And a croissant. In one. Mixed together. Mm. It's to make great. The most delicious morning breakfast pastry. I'm still very hungry. Uh <laughs> If you want to send us some listener submitted trivia, um, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at misinfopod. We have a Facebook page, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. And you can't talk to us there, but you can find us on our website, um, 
misinfopod.com. You can also stream us on that aforementioned website. And you can find us basically wherever you get your podcasts. Even if you're on the moon. Yeah, even if you're on the moon, I'm sure that gets beamed out. Spotify has a <laughs> yeah, has a very strong hold. You're very good with the Foley tonight. You're giving me some moon realness. Uh <laughs> Um, also, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Please. Thank you so much to everybody who has rate, reviewed, and subscribed it's, to us. It's, you, you've all been so kind. It's very sweet. It's yes. very nice. Um, and if you go to our Twitter page or our um, website, we have a little um, link to our PayPal. If you want to throw a few bucks our way, um, we'd appreciate it. It'll help us with our uh, equipment upgrades and our hosting fees. And also, you know what? Sometimes we need a bottle of wine every now and then to get through through a recording session. Podcasting is hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? I know. Podcasting is so hard. Oh my God. (laughs) Podcasting is so hard. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much for listening, guys. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. When the moon hits your eye Like a big pizza pie That's amore So, throughout the course of a year, you'll get probably three or four supermoons. How do we know when it's happening? Um, uh, I'm sure there's a website like moon.com where you can check where the moon is. Um, I bet it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do a moon. quick moon.com. Com. What's coming up? What comes up on moon.com? All right. A couple guesses. Okay. It's a porn site. Is it butts? One. <laughs> it's, uh, is it butts? No. Is it a company? Okay. Um, is it a company that has to do with moon? No. That's too bad. All right. All right. Oh. A publishing company that makes travel guides. All right. Well, boring. that's boring. You can cut that out. <laughs> So um, I was hoping it was going to be butts. <laughs> I know, me too. I was really hoping it would be butts. <laughs> <laughs>